Bay Hills, how you guys doing? I, uh, I just, this is service number five for me, yeah? So right afterwards, they got an IV ready for me right back over there. But No, I just came from Hilltop Campus. They had to take the coffee and donuts down because there were so many people. So we had uh, almost close to 500 people over at the two Hilltop services. So yeah, it's been awesome. It's good to have you guys here. Very good. Uh, we are starting a brand new series this morning called When Pigs Fly. The, the commercial you just watched was kind of the, the winning commercial of one of the Super Bowls years ago. Uh, it was a Dorito, Doritos commercial. It was called When Pigs Fly. Now, that is a phrase that we use in a humorous, sarcastic way to talk about something we think is impossible, right? We think it's not going to happen. And, and it happens to be the kind of the name of the series that we're uh, calling it as we are going to look for six weeks as some of the crazy, impossible things that Jesus does in the, in the Gospels. We call them miracles. So we're going to be talking about them, why they matter, and why they can influence and impact your life. But starting this morning, what I want to do is I want to just go over here and take a little tangent and speak to my uh, skeptic friends that may be here today. You're here because it's Easter, and I, I'm glad you're here. And, and be, be, if you're honest, you'll say, you know, David, one of, the, one of the reasons I struggle with this book is because there's miracles in it. You know, it's got stories about, I don't know, a guy getting swallowed by a fish and living in there for three days, and you got people, you know, just crazy stuff, miracles. And it's, I wrestle with that, David. So let's just talk about that for a quick second. For the moment, I'm not going to ask you to uh, uh, make any proclamation about the existence of a God. Let's just, let's just shelve that. I'm not going to ask you to accept that Jesus was the Son of God. Let's shelve that as well. Let's find something we can agree on, okay? And I think we can agree on this. Watch. If there's an all-powerful, almighty God. If, okay? Just the definition of God. If that being exists, and he created everything we know to call the universe. If there's a being that made all of that, then certainly performing a few miracles can't be that hard for him. Can we agree on that? I mean, you know, helping a guy walk on water, feeding 5,000 people with a happy meal for McDonald's, that's not too hard for an almighty God. That's all I'm saying for the moment, right? Uh, what I believe, this is my opinion, I believe this is the story of a God that performs miracles. I believe this is a book that, it, that uh, uh, includes some of the crazy impossible things that he pulled out and records it for us. I believe in a God uh, that makes pigs fly and does impossible things. But most importantly, I believe in a God that is still in the miracle business today. Uh, it's not just something he did years ago. I believe God wants to do and can do a miracle in your life, in your family and in your marriage, and in your finances, and in your health even, but most importantly, in your soul. I believe that. And so this morning, we're going to start with miracle number one, and I hope you'll come back. But miracle number one, if you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 11. Now, John chapter 11 is not a typical story for Easter Sunday. On Easter Sunday, what do we do? We talk about the resurrection of Jesus. That's what we're supposed to do. We've sung songs about it. We watched a little video with Billy Graham's voice uh, over it, and that that's what we've already done. Kind of. What I want to do is I want to show you why John chapter 11 matters to the Easter story. If you want to understand Easter, you absolutely have to understand what's going on in John chapter 11. Now, here's what I want to do to set it up. 
When you read a Bible, it gives you verse numbers to help you find it, and it kind of gives you paragraph headings to help give you context of what's going on. Let me give you some of the paragraph headings you can find in your Bible. Verses 1 through 16, John chapter 11, is Lazarus getting sick and dying. Good friend of Jesus dies. Verses 17 to 37, Jesus comforts the sisters because they're bummed out. Their younger brother just died, okay? Verses 38 to 44, there's the miracle. Lazarus is raised from the dead. Now, here's what's interesting. The story doesn't end there. It includes another couple verses, and it tells us in verses 45 to 57 that because of John chapter 11, because of the words that Jesus speaks, and because of the action of raising Lazarus from the dead, the Jewish authorities from that day on decide to try and kill him. You see, up until this point, they were annoyed with Jesus. They were frustrated with Jesus. But it was this moment. It was the domino that caused the events of Easter to take place. In fact, let me show you the verse. It's verse 53 at the end of John chapter 11. From that day on, they, the Jewish authorities, plotted to take his life. If you want to understand Easter, you've got to understand what's going on in John chapter 11. That's what we're going to talk about. Let's jump in verses 1 through 5. You can follow along on the screen or also on your phones or your Bibles. A man named Lazarus was sick. His sisters, Mary and Martha, sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness will not end in death, which is weird because we know he is going to die. We'll explain that here in a little bit. No, it's for God's glory. And he repeats this concept again in a second. It's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. I don't know if you caught it in the news a couple months ago. Dutch astronaut Andre Kuypers was orbiting Earth. So he's in a spacecraft orbiting Earth. And he had some small malfunction. So he placed a call to the NASA Center in Dallas, Texas. But by accident, he misdialed, okay? Do you hear what happened? Instead of calling the NASA Center in, da- in, in Houston, Texas, he dialed 911. True story. Now, here comes the best part of the story. He was connected to a 911 operator. Is that crazy? That is absolutely crazy. How did that call go? 911, what's your emergency? Yeah, I'm, I'm orbiting Earth. I got a problem with one of my dials. Yeah, we got a crazy on the phone. What do we do with him again? True story. I read that story and I thought, that's pretty encouraging to think that 911 works even when you're 200 miles above earth. You want to know what's even more encouraging? What's even more encouraging is that the creator of the universe is available to you anytime, anywhere for any need that you have. That's even more encouraging. Now, this story includes some suggestions. If you bring a need to God, Small need, just a small need, which you're allowed to do and God encourages you to do. Or you bring a a big 911 emergency need to him. I want to give you some suggestions, some characteristics that you might consider implementing into your prayer life when you bring those needs. Let me show you what I mean. There's four of them. The first one is intimacy. Intimacy. Did you notice that when the sisters send word to Jesus about what's going on, that Lazarus is sick, did you notice that they don't use his name? Did you catch that? So I don't know how this works out. 
but oh, oh my goodness, my brother is sick. Let's write Jesus a note. Let's give it to a messenger. Hurry, run and give this to Jesus. He opens the note and the note reads, the one you love is sick. Question, why didn't they use his name? Answer, they didn't have to. They had such a close relationship in friendship. Jesus knew exactly who he, they were talking about. Can I give you a little hint, little suggestion? One of the ways you increase the probability that your prayers will be answered, you want to know what to do? Develop as close of a friendship and as a relationship with God as you possibly can. Intimacy. Second thing is humility. I, I want you to note that when Martha is, is giving this message to Jesus, she gives him information, what's happening. She gives him implication, what I want, which is heal my brother. But she does not give Jesus instruction, information, implication, but she does not give him instruction. Jesus, I want you to do this. I want you to do that. I want you to go here. I want you to go there. She doesn't do that. You want to know why? Because she understands that when you come into the presence of God, you can share anything you want, but, but you best show up with an attitude of humility. You know why? Because you're not God. You understand your world and what's going on in your world. And fair enough. This is what I want from you, God. But have the maturity and the humility to know that if he chooses something else, he's choosing something else because he knows better. He knows better than you know. Humility. Third thing is personality. So when I say personality, I don't mean your personality. I don't mean my personality. I mean his personality. We normally call that character. I, I think it's interesting what Martha doesn't say. She doesn't send a message to Jesus, and she does not say, Jesus, because Lazarus loves you so much, can you help him out? Doesn't say that. In fact, she says exactly the opposite. Because you love Lazarus so much, can you help him out? You see, my leverage, our leverage with God, when we ask him for stuff, is not that we love him. Our leverage is that he loves us. It's his character, and it's his personality. Don't you ever forget how much he loves you. Fourth, and the most important one, when you show up in the presence of God and ask him for stuff, it's the term and the concept of glory. Now, if you haven't written it down in your Bible or on your phone, you have to understand what glory is. It's a big, fancy Bible word that means God's kingdom, God's agenda, okay? God's reputation, and so when you present a request to God, and then the Trinity is sitting around the conference table in heaven, they're trying to figure out what to do, how to help you, right? Here's what you have to understand. And Jesus says this twice in one sentence to make sure you and I get it. Twice. Here's what he's trying to make the point. Listen, when I decide what to do about your situation, here's what you need to understand. My glory, my agenda, my kingdom takes precedent over your comfort. Does that make sense? In other words, God wants you to be comfortable. God wants you to be happy. You want to know what he wants more than that? He wants his kingdom to receive glory, his agenda to receive glory. Do you know why? Because this world is not all about you. Turn to the person next to you and with a little attitude say, it's not all about you. Go ahead and tell them real quick. I know you want to. I know you want to. 
Got some family counseling we're going to have to do after this, I'm observing. <laughs> Guys, I know this is not a concept that is easy for us to swallow, but listen, if you can't figure this out, if you can't figure out that God's agenda is more important than your agenda, you are going to wrestle with God. You've got to figure this out. Let's keep reading verse 6. When Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us get back or go back to Judea now. But Rabbi, they said, just a short while ago when we were there, the Jews tried to kill you. If we go back, you'll be stoned. Now, this is an important clarification. To be stoned in Bible times meant something altogether different than it means today here in Richmond, California. I'm saying that because I know some of you. Come on, let's come clean. (laughs) Guys, here's what's going on. They're just, they're concerned for his safety. What, we're going back to do, Jesus, don't you remember the last time you were there, you were doing the preaching thing and they were, they were heckling you? Do you remember that? Do you remember afterwards they got in your face, they wanted to hurt you and beat you up? Remember that? Let's proceed on. We're going to Judea. But what I want to I identify for you is you see what I have highlighted and underlined and bolded in on the screen? And I want to ask this question, why the delay? What, what is he doing for two days? Why is he waiting? Be, because you see, he receives an urgent request from what is arguably his best friends. Jesus, we need you and we need you now. Implication, the quicker you get here, the greater the probability and chance that you can help my brother. What is he doing for two days? The, we are not told, but it almost feels like he's just lalagagging. He reads the note, yeah, and I'm going to hang out for another two days. Okay, it's just us, no condemnation. Do, do you ever struggle with God's timing? You present a request to him you've got in a situation where you're struggling. And it's something you know he can do quick, he can do easy. It, it seems like he's not even hearing you. It seems like he's delaying. What the heck is going on, God? This is an important concept. Some of you, God brought you here today just to hear this next principle. You have to understand that God's delays are not necessarily God's denials. God saying to you, wait, does not necessarily mean God is saying no. I don't know. It was about uh, a month ago. I was watching TBS or TNT and doing some emails back, and one of the 13 Rocky movies was on that Stallone has produced. For all my kids that are here, Rocky is a movie about a, a boxer, right? They're like, what the heck is Rocky? It's about a boxer, right? And it was the, I don't even know what number it was, but it was the one where Rocky is fighting the big, strong Russian, right? And so he's fighting the Russian. And, and yeah, okay, some of you freaks over there, give me that. It's all right. It's all right. Yes. <laughs> it's number three or four. Good. Thank you, guys. Um, <laughs> sorry. And so we're there, and, and Rocky is just getting pummeled by the Russian, right? Just pummeled. Kill- and what is Rocky doing? Nothing. He's just taking it, taking it, all the shots. He goes back to the corner, goes back to the corner. He sits down. His trainer goes, what are you doing? And Rocky's like, God strategy. That's the best alone I could do. God's strategy, right? <laughs> he goes back in the ring, and the Russian keeps beating on him. Bye. Rocky's just taking it. 
until the very end, last round. There's just a minute or so left. Rocky stands tall. Now the big, tall, strong Russian is weak because he's punched himself out. Rocky stands tall and he starts pummeling him and he knocks him out and he wins the bout. Here's what you need to understand. Some of you right now are taking some shots from the enemy. Some of you right now are getting beat up in life. What you need to understand is that quite possibly God has a divine strategy you just don't quite fully process or understand right now, but you need to know that in the end, in the last round, you win. God's delay does not necessarily mean God's denial. So important for us to get that concept. Let's read on. John 11, verses 11 to 16. But now, just look at the look at the red letters and words and the and the blue ones. Do you see what's going on there? I've highlighted it for you. You got this back and forth between death and sleeping, and death and sleeping, and death and sleeping, and and it's something that the disciples are going to struggle with. We're going to read it and then we're going to talk about it just a little bit. Okay, Jesus said to the disciples, "Our friends Lazarus had fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up." His disciples replied, "Lord." If he's just sleeping, he's going to get better. But Jesus had been speaking of his death. But the disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he, he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, you morons. For the sake, I added that for effect. Uh, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But now let's go to him. Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, isn't it good to have someone like Thomas around? Someone that's encouraging, someone that's uplifting, someone that's positive and puts a good spin on everything. That's Thomas, right? No, not really. Look what he says. He listens to this whole dialogue. Well, I guess we can also go that we can die with him as well. (laughs) Thomas is the kind of guy that brightens up a room, you know, when he leaves. That's Thomas. (laughs) Guys, If you take this book literally, when it means it symbolically and figuratively, it's going to jack you up. It'll mess you up like it did the disciples. When he talks about sleeping, he's talking figuratively. What is Jesus trying to say here? This is what he's trying to say. Listen, in my world, in my kingdom, if you embrace my system of salvation, physical death, it's It's more like taking a nap. You're not afraid of taking a nap, are you? In fact, by applause, how many of you enjoy taking naps? You enjoy taking naps. Yeah, thank you. Right? And I see some of you are not clapping. You want to know what you call what we call people who don't like naps? Crabby, you need a nap. Take a nap for the love of Jesus. Your family needs you to get some rest. (laughs) It's interesting. I was reading about um uh, possums. They're, possums aren't considered to be the smartest animal. At least we don't perceive them to be, do, do we? It's one thing about possums that I read. A possum will not go into a hole in the ground if it sees only one set of tracks heading to that hole. You want to know why? Because it concludes there's still something in there. I'm not going in. But that very same possum, if it sees two sets of tracks, one set of track going in and another set of track going out, it has no problem going into that hole because it concludes the hole is empty. Do you want to know why you don't have to fear death? You want to know why you don't have to fear death? Because there's one set of tracks heading into the tomb of Jesus and there's another set of tracks heading out of the tomb of Jesus. His tomb is empty and that's why you don't have to fear death. 
That's the point of what's going on here. Verse 17, the story goes on. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus, he'd already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. Many Jews had come to Martha, to Mary, to comfort them in their loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. Now, this is important. If, if we were a Jewish person living in those days, that would have been a little red flag. Because in those days, they had some very strict protocol. What you did day one after your, your loved one died, and what you did day two, and what you did day three. This is day four. You want to know what you do on day four? The family stays home, and the rest of us go home, go to their house. We bring them potlucks, and we comfort them. That's what you're supposed to do on day four. So when Martha breaks the protocol, as a Jewish person, that's a red flag going up. There's a problem. What's, he, what's going on is that Martha's got something on her mind she wants to share with Jesus. Martha heard that Jesus was coming. She went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. She followed the Jewish protocol. And here's what she says. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But I know that even now, God will give you what you ask. Let's take a survey. Let's do a little audience participation. When Martha says this to Jesus, two options. Do you think she's upset or do you think it's a declaration of faith? In other words, option one, do you think she's going, where were you? We were waiting. You could have helped. What were you doing? Is it that or is it? You know what? You're an important man. You got things to do. I wish you would have been here. But now that you are here, because you are who you say you are, you could still help out. Upset? Declaration of faith. By show of hands, how many of you think she was upset at Jesus? Put your hands up high. Okay? How many of you think it was a declaration of faith? How many of you don't have a clue? How many of you aren't going to raise your hand no matter what I ask? There, there you are. It's good to have you in the house. <laughs> Nonconformists. <laughs> Most commentators will say that if you had to choose between Martha being upset and a declaration of faith, if you were forced to choose, most commentators think she's ticked off. You see, Martha, if you know anything about Martha, she was the kind of woman she would speak her mind. Do you remember that story? where the disciples and Jesus go to her house. She's in the kitchen slaving away, making tapas for everyone. They're all in the living room drinking sangria. No one's helping out. You know, she barges into the living room and she gets in Jesus' face, the disciples' face and Mary's face for not helping. Remember that? You see, she is not a woman that has any problem speaking her mind. And most commentators think that's what's happening right here. She's ticked off. But look at that last phrase. That last phrase is a statement of faith. You know what that tells us? It tells us you can be ticked off at God and still be a person of faith. And that is powerful. What my time that I have left, I want to spend and make sure that you understand the difference between spiritual maturity and spiritual reality as it is taught in this passage. When it comes to spiritual maturity, here's what you need to understand. Spiritual maturity is when we believe in God, we believe that he's good, we believe that his word is true, even when you experience pain and your world caves in. 
One of the things that I want you to understand about the story, because I don't have time to read all the dialogue for you, is that Jesus does not reprimand Martha. Jesus doesn't go, hey, whoa, whoa, who do you think you're talking to? You don't see that. You know why? Because when you read this book very quickly, you discover that you're allowed to share your emotions. You're allowed to share your questions and your doubts with God. You're allowed to be frustrated, even angry at God. Now, you best check your tone, but you're allowed to do that. The, the question is not Martha's attitude. That's not the question at all going on here. You want to know what the question is? Here's the question. What will you base your faith on? Will you base your faith on the, the character of God, on the truth of God, or will you base your faith on circumstances and life? See, this is what I've observed. I've observed that there are a group of people. Some of us may be here even today. And some of us will say this. I'm all into God. As long as life is good. As long as family is good. As long as marriage and the kids are good. As long as career is good. As long as finances are good. As long as my friends are good. As long as my health is good. If life is good, I'm in with God. But if any of that changes... If life, starts, if life starts to get a little sucky, if I start to experience pain in life, and pray tell, if my life caves in like Martha's life caved in when her baby brother died, if that happens, I'm tapping out with God. And as someone who genuinely cares for you, I want to respectfully say this, that is not spiritual maturity, and it is incredibly dangerous. Be the kind of person that doesn't have circumstantial faith. Be a person that, that your faith is based upon the person of Christ and the character of God. In verse 23, Jesus answers Martha. Your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. That's what all Jews pretty much believed in the time. There was some discussion between Sadducees and Pharisees about this. But they all pretty much believed sometime in the distant future, in the end days, there will be resurrection. That's what she's saying. Now, I explained to you what spiritual maturity is. Let me explain to you what spiritual reality is based upon this story. Here's what it is. Spiritual reality is that Jesus didn't come just to make people good. Jesus came to bring dead people to life again. Now see, that would have been the perfect spot for you to slip in an amen. Let's try that one again, right? <laughs> Jesus didn't come just to make bad people good. He came to bring dead people to life again. Yeah. Oh no, now that's too late. Now I'm ticked off <laughs> preaching my heart out. You guys just sitting there waiting for brunch. I don't know what you guys are doing. <laughs> guys, this is the point. Have you ever met a Christian, right? They're alive right here. They're born again right here. They've been transformed by the Holy Spirit and accepted Jesus into their life. But they're not, not nice of a person. You know Christians like that? You sitting next to anyone close this morning like that? Don't look at them. Don't look at them. You know why that is? It's because God can change and transform our eternity here, but he's still working out all the quirks in our personality. He didn't come just to make you good. He came to take what is dead in you and make it alive. 
to take your dead soul and make it alive, to take your dead marriage and make it alive, to take your dead finances and make it alive, even in some cases your dead body and to make it alive. That's why he came. I don't want to spend too much time, and I don't want to belabor this point, but it's, it's very interesting to me. I, I, I want to talk to you about the punctuation in this story. When was the last time we talked punctuation? I can't remember. But it's in, they're all talking about the same thing. Uh, they're all talking about the death of Lazarus. The Jews are talking about it. The disciples are talking about it. Martha's talking about it. Jesus is talking about it. What's interesting is that when they talk about it, they use different punctuation. Let me show you what I mean. When Martha is talking about the death of her brother in verse 21, she uses a period, a full stop. My brother is dead, full stop. His life is over. It's done. It's finished. But when Jesus is talking about the exact same thing in verse 14, he uses a comma, which is Jesus' way of saying, check this out. It ain't over till I say it's over. And my point to you is this. Don't you dare use a period in your life when God is using a comma in your life. You are looking at some of the issues in your life, some of the problems in your life, some of the questions in your life, and you are putting a full stop. It's over. It's done. And God says, nope, not when you have my son in your corner. In my world, it's a comma. There's still something to come. There's still something to come. I'm going to wrap it up with what is considered to be one of the greatest statements in the New Testament. It is the crescendo of the seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. I'm going to have the band come up and uh, we're going to wrap it up with this. But in John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and I am the life. And then he says multiple times, notice it, he who believes in me will live even though they die. Whoever lives and believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? He asks Martha that question. But I want to say that he also asks you that question this morning. Do you believe? Do you believe? And she says and answers in two words, two words that can change your eternity. Two words that completely can turn around your life. Two words. Yes, Lord. Yes. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Savior. I believe that you are the Son of God. I want to wrap up and I want to make sure you understand what our action point is this morning. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. What what does that mean? My daughter, Jess, was five years old at the time. Now, just to give you context, in two weeks, she's graduating from university. We're going to go down and celebrate with her. But she was a little tyke. And it was Easter weekend. And we were going to some church program for kids. I don't remember what was going on. And, and, And as dad, we were waiting for Sandy and for Josh at the time and to do, get ready and because it's my job, I, I, I went to Jess and I got down at her level and I said, sweetie, what's Easter about? Why do we celebrate? And, and, and she said, you know, she thought, she goes, Jesus died on the cross? And I said, yes. Then what? She thought and she goes, 
Jesus rose from the dead? And I, she said, and I said, yes, then what? What's the point? What comes after that? She thought, and I'm, I'm thinking and hoping at this point in time, she's, she's going to explain the atonement of Jesus Christ, the redemption that comes through Jesus. She's going to quote a verse in Greek because that's what I expect of my pastor kids, something like that. So, sweetie, let's, let's summarize. Jesus died on the cross. Then he rose from the dead. Then what? And I could see her little brain turning. Her brain was cranking, and then her eyes got real big. And she said, and then I get candy from the Easter Bunny! No, no! I felt like such a failure. I spanked her, sent her to her room. I didn't do that. Guys, he doesn't say, I am going to raise from the dead. He says, I am the resurrection definite article. What he's trying to say to you is this. If you say yes to me, I can guarantee you eternal life. I can guarantee you that death is not the end of you. That's what he's trying to say. I am the resurrection. He says, I am the life. He's trying to say, listen. Some of you got a pretty good life. You do. Things are rolling around pretty good. I just, I want to tactfully and respectfully say, it's not as good as you think if you don't have Jesus. Because with Jesus, there's a fulfillment that you, there's a satisfaction, there's a transformation in your life. There's a purpose for living beyond yourself and your little world. There's joy in circumstances you don't even expect. I got thinking just just last night as I was doing my last little prep and looking over the the story, I got thinking, do you you think 15, 20 years later, if Martha and Mary and Lazarus lived that long, they're elderly, they're they're sitting in their living room late on some Friday night, they're sipping tea. Do you you think that they laughed about what happened in this story? Here's what I mean. We're told in the story, and we know from history, that the burial custom was to take a dead body and wrap it with a hundred pounds of burial clothing. Remember when you used to play that game at camp or youth group, you'd take toilet paper and you'd try and wrap one guy up as quickly as possible, right? That's what they're doing. He's all wrapped up. Here's my point. His whole body is wrapped up. His legs and feet are wrapped up. He's not walking out of the grave. He's, he's hopping out of the grave. <laughs> I don't know why, but I find that funny, right? I'm thinking maybe it became so popular at parties it turned into a dance. Let's do the Lazarus, you know, and they're all hopping around the dance floor. You see, God is the kind of God that takes difficult circumstances and brings joy out of it even when you don't expect it. I am the resurrection and I am the life. But then he adds four times, not once, not twice, not three times, four to make sure you get it. Only If you believe in me and you say yes to Jesus. Last weekend, I was with my other daughter, Julia. She's the last one living with us, and we're enjoying that. We were in Reno. Uh, She's into volleyball now. She's super tall. She's super good. She's on a traveling team. And I I, I like sports, but I never played volleyball. So I'm learning, you know, the digs and the sets and the spikes and all that, you know, and Side out, side out, all that kind of stuff, right? And uh, and one of the things about this sport that is unique uh, is that after every point, the team kind of gets together and they huddle together and they do a little 
talk or a little chant or a little something. They all say something to each other. It's interesting what happens when they make a mistake, though. They all huddle together, and whoever it was that made the mistake, almost every time, they take one of their hands, they tap their chest, they look at their teammates, and they say this, my bad. My bad. Now, remember, I told you I'm new at this game of volleyball. Initially, I thought, as a fan, it was my job to confirm their assessment. (laughs) That's right. It was 14. It was her bad, right? Everything was going great until 14. (laughs) Sandy told me I can't do that, so I just (laughs) sit there. (laughs) But it was fun while I did it. (laughs) You want to know what salvation is? Salvation is you humbly and honestly going to God. Say, my bad. Not my parents' fault. Not my spouse's fault. Oh, it's easy to blame them. Not my boss's fault. Not my president's fault. Not my coach's fault. Not my teacher's fault. They're my neighbor's fault. My bad. I did it. I have sinned in my life. My bad. And I understand and I get that the only way for the forgiveness of my sins is to say yes to Jesus to embrace what he did for me on the cross. That's the only way I gain relationship with God. I am the resurrection and I am the life. If you believe, if you say yes, then you get it. Have you figured it out yet? You figured out why John chapter 11 has everything to do with Easter? You see, the resurrection of Lazarus does not foreshadow the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Lazarus foreshadows your resurrection. That's the point. The point of Easter is not Jesus trying to show off who he is. The point of Easter is that Jesus is going to defeat death so that he can conquer it for you. That's the point only if four times only if you say yes to Jesus let's pray dear heavenly father we want to thank you for this Easter Sunday we want to thank you for what you've taught us about this story Lazarus and Martha and what we can do with our emotions and how it's okay to share them with you It's helpful to know that when we bring requests to you, we can leverage your character. Today we're reminded that yours is not a pampering love, it's a perfecting love. We've wrestled with and thought through how your timing sometimes is difficult to accept and assimilate. But we get it. We get it. As eyes are closed, no one's looking. I wonder if anyone here, like Martha, would want to say those two words she said. Yes, Lord. Say yes to Jesus. If you do, if you sense that God is tugging on your heart, and you've never done it before, I want you in your heart to pray this to an almighty God that hears you here today. Say it to him. Dear God, today I admit my bad, my bad. 
I admit that I have sin in my life, that I'm in need of a Savior. I realize that I've been living in a grave of mistakes and sin, but today I say yes to Jesus. I believe not only in the death of Jesus for my sins, but in his resurrection. Believing and knowing that as I embrace that, I get the guarantee of eternal life. Today I say yes. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if that's you today, I'm going to ask one last thing before I step off stage. Could you just slip your hand up so I can pray for you? Just slip it up. I see that hand. Anyone else? Hands all over the place. Just slip, slip it up so I can pray for you. Hands all over the place. Anyone else? Slip it up so I can see it. Father, for everyone in their heart who have honestly said those two words, Father, today changes their eternity because of what you did and how they trusted in that. Father, I pray for every single one of us, and I sense that this morning your Holy Spirit has spoken to all of us in different ways, in different directions. Father, I pray that we would leave here believing and understanding how much you love us, believing and understanding that you are a God of miracles that makes pigs fly and wants to change and transform our lives. Thank you for this Easter Sunday. We love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, Bay Hills.